This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. I've got a fabulous piece of advice for you. If you're given lemons, make lemonade. Let me tell you about the extraordinary piano player Art Tatum, who's known as God in jazz circles. An incredible virtuoso piano player. Why is he so talented? Why is he so unique? Well, because as a young boy, a working class lad, he was practicing and learning on broken pianos. That's right. He played pianos that had missing keys and pianos that were out of tune. So he had to strive extra hard to get a melody out of this device, which is basically faulty or broken. He had to innovate and do workarounds to create a beautiful sound from a sub-optimal musical instrument. That meant that he developed his own style that he obviously created these pathways with which to produce superior music, take that guy, give him a perfect tuned piano, and you have musical genius. A lot of people in the creative industries are not actually that suited to the work they do, but they just had the goal. They wanted the success so, for example, Elton John. Let's talk about Elton John, famous, another famous piano player, of course. Uh, Elton was told by his music teacher that he had the wrong kind of hands for the piano. That's right. The wrong kind of hands for the piano. Elton John. What a line. And what a misjudgment. But the bottom line is that he loved music. He loved that instrument. He persisted. And he is now this global icon. Um, his finger size, quite chunky and short, is certainly not ideal for classical music, but that's how he did his training is in classical music. And but those chunky fingers were perfect for rock and roll piano because uh, Elton John plays the piano in a very percussive way. And I think we can all agree he's got the hang of it. So he's taken that potential weakness, which is in inverted commas, the wrong kind of hands for piano and become the greatest piano player ever. You know, perhaps the most famous anyway, and the most um, the most highly regarded. So there you go. It is a remarkable thing. If you're given lemons, make lemonade. Okay, um, it's the same in sport. So I'm no expert on football, but football fans football fans will tell you that somebody like Roy Keane, who was the Manchester United captain, or Kevin Keegan back in the day. Uh, these players, these two guys, they were not the most talented footballers of their generation. But what they had was a will to win. They had endeavour. They had ambition. They trained harder than everyone else. They were more ruthless, more competitive, more relentless. They wouldn't let it go. So actually, it's not a talent thing. Talent's lovely. Uh, but the issue with very often talented people is that things are easier for them. And therefore, they don't try as hard. They don't have the work ethic. So if you take a talented footballer and you take someone like Roy Keane, of course, of course, the guy's talented too, but not gifted in the way that some of his colleagues were. Well, he achieved more things. 
than many of those talented players because he had to find the will to win. He had to do longer in the gym and longer in the training field. So while the other footballers have clocked off at lunchtime and taken the afternoon off, Roy Keane gets his ball after lunch and he goes back and he does another two or three hours. It's relentless. And really, that's that's what wins. Success is it's 95% perspiration, 5% inspiration. So just give it a go. You know, forget about if you've got the ability, have you got the talent? It doesn't bloody matter. When I started in the world of comedy, I spent years um, dogged with a, a question, which is, am I supposed to be a comedian? Am I talented? Am I funny? A question, of course, people will still be asking themselves to this day. But I e- endlessly put myself on trial as a comedian uh, in my early years, and it caused unnecessary stress. I think it restricted me creatively, and it just was like not a good thing to do. Um, And what would happen is that if I did a good gig. If a gig went well, I'd be thinking, yeah, perfect. I'm supposed to be a comedian and I've obviously got a talent and this is what I'm going to do. And that was perfect. But then I would have a bad gig where no one laughed. And then I'm thinking, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm not talented and I'm not supposed to be a comedian. And that is no way to live your life. And I had years of that on a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And so then what I did is I actually stepped away from stand up comedy for a while maybe a year and a half or something like that. And a very special thing happened, which is that I missed it. I missed it. I missed it. And so I went and got myself a gig. I remember, I'll never forget the time. Actually, I went to see a gig, right? I was really fed up. I was in a very low point professionally and creatively. And one Saturday afternoon, I went for a really long run. And when I was on that run, because by the way, exercise can be very motivating because you get all of those wonderful hormones pouring, coursing through your veins, you know, all the adrenaline and and, and all the rest of it. Dopamine, you name it. So I'm out running and I'm thinking, oh, I want to start gigging again. I'm ready. I'm ready for this. So what I did is I actually went down to a comedy club uh, just to watch because I thought, well, that's a good way back in is go down there and, and see a gig, soak it all up, get a flavor for it. Well, I went down there on my own, like a saddo. And when I went in, the promoter of the comedy club said, oh, Mark, how are you? Listen, I need an MC next week. Are you around? This is before the gig had even started. Now, I'll grant you I was very lucky, but it was that decision to get out of my shell and to go and like reconnect with the world that interested me, a world that I missed. And then, hey, presto, a gig comes out of it. So I watched the gig. I enjoyed it. And then the following week, I, I went and I hosted a show for this person at the same club. It went well. I had to blow the cobwebs off a little bit. It wasn't perfect. But remember, you know, the rule of this podcast, perfectionism is overrated. Just churn it out, baby. Like William Shakespeare, like Mozart, all these people, Charles Dickens, they just churned it out. Yes, they were extraordinarily gifted, but a lot of it was volume too. Um, so uh, I, uh, I I just went off and I did this gig. Anyway, um, the day after that, that first gig in a year and a half, I got an email from the promoter. And on that email, it uh, had, I think, about 20 dates. Can you do all of these? And I filled my diary up from one day to the next. Now, I was very blessed and I might not have run into that promoter and I might not have got those gigs. But obviously, I made a positive step 
by going to that gig and it opened doors. And that's what you got to do. Get out of your shell, get out of the house, go and do something and connect with a world that interests you. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a lovely thing. And I, I do highly recommend it. So this issue about not being talented is all pervasive. You know, society is populated, successful businesses, entrepreneurs, creative people. It's those who turned up and actually did the work. And it's those who wanted it rather than those who had the talent. I'm afraid the world is full of very talented, unsuccessful people. The talent is almost a curse. Wanting it is far more important. Let me tell you about a great way to cook the induction hob. Are you familiar with an induction hob? So there are obviously lots of different solutions for cooking food. You have gas, which I like. I think a lot of people like it. It's very controllable, isn't it? You can turn it up, you can turn it down. So let's say that your sauce is about to overflow. You turn the gas down, it stops overflowing. Brilliant. So it's very instant power. I do like gas. I can't lie. I like it. I like gas aesthetically as well. I like to look at it like the blue flame. I just enjoy it. I remember my chemistry classes and the Bunsen burner. Do you remember the Bunsen burner? It was very good. I uh, I, I was um, quite the arsonist when I was at school and I used to like burn books just because I was so bored in class. But I've always loved fire, always loved, always loved gas. Um, and I love to look at a naked flame. You're welcome. So you've got gas. Then you've got the most abhorrent invention ever, which is the electric ring. And that is basically an element on a hob and it just goes red. It gets hot. And the reason why they are a disaster is they use a lot of energy and they're very wasteful of energy because the whole ring gets hot. And therefore, it's just chucking out all this wasted heat in a very unfocused way. Um, They're hazardous. The ring is dangerous. But how many times have you burnt your hand on one of those electric rings? And the heat is not at all controllable. So let's say you're bringing a sauce to the boil. When you turn the ring down, the sauce carries on boiling because the ring is hot and it's going to take ages for it to cool down. It's wildly inefficient. And I'm absolutely furious about the existence of these electric rings. And then you have the third way, and I can highly recommend it, and it's induction. Now, they're not cheap. You're looking, I mean, you can get a you can get a portable induction hob for maybe 50, 60 pounds. And that's a great starting point. And, and if you want, you could put that in the kitchen next to your regular hob. Um, but then you have these built-in ones and, you know, it's 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 more expensive than a gas hob. Because the thing about a gas hob is that it's it's very, it's not technology, is it? it all the gas hob is just of, is basically just, you, you know, a device through which the gas arrives, you light it and then, you know, it's, there's nothing going on. There's no technology. It's a vessel, a through way for the gas. Whereas with the induction, it is technology and it's engineered and it costs a bit. So I don't know what you're looking at for an induction hob, but probably in the region of anything from 150 to 400 pounds. It's a lot of money. But look, just do it when you're replacing your hob, when you need a new hob. Please have a think about induction. Now, the reason why I love it, there are so many reasons why I love it. And I did. My old hob broke. It became dangerous. So like, okay, it's opportunity to put something better in. A few things to say about the induction. First of all, you get a lovely glass surface. So it looks great. Have you ever tried to clean a gas hob? Welcome to hell. 
it's a job that takes forever and then you've got a clean hob and then you boil some milk, it overflows and you're back to square one. So what's lovely about the induction is it's essentially just a big plate of glass. And when you finish cooking, you squirt your spray on there, give it a wipe and it is clean and it is sparkling and it is shiny. And it's glass, so it doesn't really scratch. Glass doesn't really scratch, so it's just great. And by the way, it's toughened glass. It doesn't break either. So that's good. It looks great. It's easy to maintain and clean. It's also very energy efficient. And the reason why is because induction is not like an electric hob. It, it's not getting hot, okay? So when the induction hob is on, if you were to put your hand on the actual hob, you're not going to burn yourself, okay? Because what the hob does is send energy rays, energy waves, um, via magnetic forces onto the pan itself. Okay, so if it's a saucepan or a frying pan, it's the frying pan or the saucepan that gets hot, not the hob itself. So if you're frying with induction and then you take the pan off the hob, you can touch the glass and it'll be warm because some of the heat from the pan will have reflected back onto the glass, but it's not in itself hot. You, you, you won't burn yourself. You'll just feel that it's warm or even hot, but not blisteringly so, because it's the device that gets heated, not the hob. So what that means is no wasted energy. So if you've got a saucepan and you're boiling some water, um, you have a stainless steel base and that absorbs the energy, which is sent via magnetic waves uh, onto the base plate of the saucepan and the saucepan's hot and the hob isn't it's amazing but here's the other key thing so energy efficient looks great easy to clean it is fast it is laser fast so you know a couple of pints of water will you know let's say you're doing a big pasta dish or something like that not that i can recommend carbohydrates by the way but whatever you're boiling boiling that water um, it's just a minute or two, bang, it's boiling away. In fact, the induction hob is so powerful that you've got to stay with it at all times. I mean, you always should anyway, but you've really got to stick around when the induction hob is on because it, it gets hot very quickly. So good is the induction hob that I've got rid of my electric kettle. Now, I always used to love the electric kettle because... A few years ago, they invented the rapid boil. Are you familiar with the rapid boil kettle? I'm a huge fan of it. I think it's absolutely outstanding. Um, and it's quick. Well, the induction hob is even quicker than that. So I got rid of my kettle, gave it to a charity shop, and I now have a stovetop kettle. It's basically just a lump of stainless steel. It's a kettle made out of stainless steel, and it just goes on my induction hob, and it cooks the water boils the water really, really quickly, quicker than a regular kettle. Um, and I've freed up the space on my counter in the kitchen where the kettle used to be, because now the kettle sits on the hob. I've got more space for chopping vegetables and, you know, doing my various bits and bobs. So it's just phenomenal. It feels old fashioned to be using a stovetop kettle. Of course, it's great for those little Italian espresso machines as well. Now, some people get in a right panic about what kind of special pans do you need to have for induction hobs? There's no special pans. Um, all it is, is the pan needs to have a stainless steel base. Now, any good pan does have a stainless steel base. If it's aluminium, it's a cheap piece of rubbish. And I will say that an aluminium 
frying pan or saucepan will not work on induction the induction but almost every new pan that comes out now you look at the bottom and it has the symbol which says it works with induction which is kind of these loop this this kind of looped image but um as I say, all new pans, more or less, most new pans are induction friendly because they're not stupid, these companies. They want to sell their pans. And all they've got to make sure is that it has this conductive stainless steel base. In fact, the pan can be any material. The pan can be aluminium. But what they do is they just slam the stainless steel base onto it. And then through the steel base, which gets hot, it cooks through the aluminium. So that's it. It's all, all you need is just that point of contact between the hob and the pan. And the rest, it can be any material you bloody like. So induction hob, absolute game changer. It is a daily pleasure to me. Mine's got a power setting, which is extra fast, which is just bonkers. Um, is there anything else you need to know about it? Yeah, just how instantly controllable it is. So remember when I said that the hob doesn't heat up, that means that if you go from nine, where it's really hot, to one, whatever you've got will stop boiling in a nanosecond. And it's a lovely thing. Don't be greedy. Greed is a terrible thing. It's a human weakness. It's one of the Ten Commandments not to be greedy. Is it? I don't know. I haven't checked. But look, here's the thing. Um, greed is unbecoming. It's, it's not charming. It's not attractive. And it's going to make you very unpopular in a group. Let me give you an example of where greed can really undo your life. There was a lady and she did a scam right? It was a genius scam. She was in charge of the HR department of a massive multinational company. And she had this idea for a scam, which is to take, she deducted one penny. In America, that'd be a dime. Okay. One penny in uh, in Europe, it would be, what, what do they call the, the, the one P euro? But you know what I mean. And she deducted a penny from every payroll, and this is thousands of workers around the world. Now, nobody noticed that they were missing a penny, because let's be honest, you wouldn't notice you were missing a penny. Or if you did, you'd think, oh, that must be some kind of special, I don't know, that, that's to do with my allowance, or that's a tax thing or whatever, but it's a penny less. And no one cares about a penny. And as I say, most people won't notice anyway. So she's got this scam. She's making thousands of pounds a month from getting a penny off everyone. It's genius. By the way, I do not condone breaking the law. It's disgraceful, but it is also ingenious. She could have done this for ages. But what did she do, this silly lady? She started turning up to work in brand new BMWs and expensive designer clothes. She posted pictures on Facebook of her lovely expensive holidays, traveling business class, sipping champagne, jewellery, posh restaurants. She was greedy. She was greedy. And colleagues were like, why is, uh, I don't know what her name was, so let's just come up with a name. Why was Stephanie, why is Stephanie so uh, rich these days? And you think, wait a minute, she works in the HR department, so she's got access to everyone's pay slips and accounts and all of that. So somebody did an investigation. They worked out the scam she went to jail and she lost everything. Her career, she had to give the money back. Absolute disaster. What was her problem? Well, look, obviously she broke the law and never do that. But the wider point is that her greed did for her. Her greed, 
Her greed was her undoing. Obviously, these crooked criminals, they do have that fatal flaw. I think it was uh, Freud who said that it's the secret wish of all criminals to be caught, which is why they get sloppy and leave clues. And why serial killers, when they're successful, they start taunting and teasing and trolling the police because they almost like, come on, this is boring now. I want you to give me a challenge. Um, so, yeah, all, all criminals are, are inherently flawed. Um, but just think, right, if she had done this scam for 18 months and she pockets the cash, let's just imagine she pockets three, four hundred thousand pounds, right? And then what she should do then, first of all, don't go to work dressed in posh clothes. Look very humble. Keep keep your rusty, beaten up car. In fact, look poor. Go the other way. But the big thing is also after after a couple of years, you're like, you know what? I'm going to get rumbled. So I'm going to stop right there and I will bank the cash. If only these criminals weren't greedy. It's like the bank robbers, uh, you know, a couple of hit, couple of jobs, a million pounds in your pocket under the mattress job done but no they always go back for more because they are greedy so greed is just not it's not an attractive thing so therefore in life just don't be greedy and just have a think every day as you go about your life just ask yourself is this greedy is that greedy um and reflect on how 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 you'll be judged for that but greed is not good there you go a fabulous way to grow your muscle mass is to do something called abbreviated training. That's an interesting one. It comes from the United States. Uh, one of the great proponents of it is a guy called Dr. Doug McGuff, M-C-G-U-F-F. -F. You can see his videos on YouTube. And it is a very simple a principle. And I've been doing this now for a couple of years and I absolutely love it. And the principle of it is that it's to do with lifting. OK, so it, it involves weights and that could be dumbbells at home or on a machine in the gym. Always under supervision, by the way, because you can really injure yourself if you don't know what you're doing in a gym or indeed at home with dumbbells. So seek professional guidance about your correct form, your correct posture and that you're using the dumbbells or the machine correctly. All of that said, the principle of it it goes against the traditional idea. You know, when you join a gym and you get your induction and they say, OK, let's start you on three sets of 15 on this chest press and three sets of 15 reps on the leg press or whatever it is. But they, they, they tend to do that where it's kind of not that heavy and you basically do it about 15 times up and down. Then you have a little break. Then you do it again. And then maybe you do it one more time. Right. And that is the convention. Remember, this show is all about challenging dogma, challenging convention and very much abbreviated training challenges convention. And it won't be for everyone, but I love it. And this show is about me sharing the things that I love with you, because there are certain things in life that just make me very happy and that are very good for me. And I want to share that with you. I want you to know about that. That's what this show is all about. I'm just buzzing with excitement about all the good things out there. And I'm determined to spread the word. So this intermittent, uh, not intermittent, this abbreviated training has absolutely changed my life. And the principle is that it is weights. You are lifting very heavy things very slowly. That's it. So it's the opposite of 15 reps in a break. Okay. This is about, I can barely move the stack. It's so heavy. 
and I'm going to do it very slowly. I'm not going to indulge in momentum because if you look at people in the gym and they're in and out, in and out really fast with their reps, right? Well, they are benefiting from momentum, which creates energy, which is less demanding on the muscle. If you do any exercise, whether it's lifting or even something like press-ups, try doing five press-ups as slowly as possible. So let's imagine it's four seconds up and then four seconds down, right? You'll only manage a few. It's a killer. Whereas you can do 15 or 20 fast press-ups and that's because momentum makes it easier. The idea of abbreviated training is that you keep the muscle under load consistently with no respite. So very simple, whatever machine you go on at the gym, you are the, the positive rep. That means when you're, let's imagine it's a chest press or a leg press. The positive rep is when you're, when you're sort of pushing out. It's four seconds until you, until you lock out and then slowly back, four seconds back. And at no point do you stop. You don't drop the stack. You don't get a break. And also when you're, let's say you're doing the, the, the leg press, you mustn't let your legs lock out and become straight because that is a secure position, which then gives your muscles a break. The whole idea of abbreviated training is the muscle is consistently under load. So very slow on the positive as you push out and then one half beats at the top and then back down again slowly. And the temptation to snap back and, and use that negative just as a break is huge. But in fact, what you do is you go very slowly backwards, four seconds, a little beat. You just kiss the stack and then straight back out again. It's amazing. And then what you do is you keep doing that until your muscles hit fatigue. There comes a point where you're doing your last rep and the stack won't move anymore. You're halfway there and it will not move. That's the point where you slowly, negatively get back to your starting point and you are done. So it's incredible. So lifting as heavy as you can get, but obviously take guidance as to the correct amount. I've got a brilliant guy who, who, um, calculates how much I need. And then every week he gives me a tiny bit more. Um, so, you you know, professional guidance. And as I say, form technique, very important. You get advice on that because you could put your back out. You could you could really hurt yourself if you did this without guidance. So love it, love it, love it. And the way that McGuff works and the way that, that this guy I work with works is that um, you've got a general principle, which is for the upper body you're looking at this great volume very slowly. If you um, if you are still, if you still get energy, you haven't hit fatigue after a couple of minutes, it's not heavy enough. Uh, if you hit fatigue after, let's say, 40 seconds, it's too heavy. So the sweet spot is somewhere between 50 and 70 seconds. OK, so the upper body you're, you're sort of basically doing it very slowly in and out and you get to about 50, 55 seconds and then you can't move the stack anymore, right? You've hit fatigue. It just won't budge. That is the point where you stop and it's job done. Um, on the leg press, it's more like uh, something like, I think, let me quickly remind myself. Yeah, somewhere between sort of 90 and 120 seconds, all right? So if you hit fatigue on the leg leg press after 60 seconds, then it's too heavy. But if you're still going after two and a half minutes, it's too light. So um, yeah, from memory, I think you're, you're looking at sort of that ballpark of 60 to 90 seconds, uh, not 60 to 90 seconds, more, more like um, 
100 to 120 seconds, some, something like that, something in that region. Um, so it's brilliant. It's changed my life. I used to go running a lot and I still obviously think running is good, but I found it depleted my energy. I just was tired the next day and just kind of sucked the life out of me a little bit. So I, I actually more or less gave up running and just took up lifting weights instead. One of the big things is that they muscle mass, right? Muscle mass is really important. They call muscles the organs of longevity. And you want to grow your muscle mass if you can. First of all, because it looks good. But secondly, because the muscles generate an awful lot of hormones and cells and there's a lot of renewal going on. Also exhausting your muscles, right? Getting your muscles to fatigue um, will empty them of glycogen. Glycogen is a kind of sugar that lives in the muscles. And when you do this slow, um, heavy lifting, you suck the sugar out of your muscles. That brings your insulin down and then you'll be burning fat. Uh, go back to my low carbohydrate episode to find out more about fat burning and ketosis and a low carbohydrate lifestyle. But if you combine lifting with the uh, with the joy of, of um, a low carb diet, then you are going to lose weight. So it's a beautiful thing. It artificially brings down the what they would call insulin. So that's lovely. Um, a few other things I need to tell you about. Wool. Wool is a fabulous material and wool is natural, which means that it stays clean. So if you are training and you're worried about stinky clothes, polyester is terrible because what happens is you sweat and then the sweat dries, but the bacteria from your sweat stays in the polyester and it reproduces and multiplies and becomes smelly. It produces an odour. The smell of dirty training gear is because of polyester. Um, cotton is slightly more natural because it, it it's obviously is a natural product and it doesn't stink quite as much, but it still does. Uh, silk is better, but the very best thing is wool. Because let's say you sweat in wool. All you have to do is you hang it, right? You let it air dry and it becomes clean again. And it's because wool is essentially hair and it's antibacterial, naturally antibacterial. It lives on sheep. It keeps them warm all year round. And um, it's completely natural fiber. It's great for your skin. And you can get some very nice brands like Icebreaker. It's not cheap. But when you buy an Icebreaker or any of those other Merino uh, woolen garments, you'll have them for life. They're really, really gorgeous and especially good when you're traveling, because let's imagine you want to travel. I like to travel now in just one of those carry on bags. I take pride in, in being able to do a whole trip just out of one of those little bags. I can't bear checking in another bag and then you get to the airport and you've got to sit at the carousel and wait for it to arrive, which is the ultimate lottery, isn't it? You've got to worry that someone else is going to go away with your bag, which looks the same as yours. You avoid all of that with the carry on bag, but it means that you're limited to the amount of clothes you can bring and bring some wool because it won't need as many washes. Well, it won't need any washes. Say whatever the wool you've worn, you just hang it up and it will um, it will air and then it's clean. It's the stink free guarantee and I can highly uh, recommend it. OK, let's have my product of the week now. And I'm very excited about this one because I think it's really well priced and supreme quality and it functions perfectly. It's amazing. And it is these if you're 
listening to the podcast, let me describe them. They are Bluetooth headphones by Sony WIC100. Now, Japanese companies, I'm a huge fan, Toyota, Sony, you name it. But certainly when it comes to audio technology, they don't have very good names. Uh, WIC100 does not trip off the tongue. But listen, they work beautifully. So the reason why I like them is that they are very light. I think aesthetically they look good. It's a very minimal design. Uh, and if you are listening, let me tell you, these are not those over-ear headphones, those supersized cans that go over your ears. These are the kind of in-ear earphones that just snuggle straight into your ear canal. Um, they're not like the Apple AirPods. They're just very conventional little buds that go in. Uh, they come with a range of different um, silicon little sleeves. You know, the little the, the thing that goes into your ear, the earplug itself, uh, different sized silicon versions of that in a bag. So you can kind of just chop and change. Um, as a general rule, I just go for the smallest one because I don't like to shove too big an ear pod into my ear. So I go for the smallest one, swap them out straight away um, and I'm happy. Now, there are lots of um, reasons why. I and first of all, many of these in-ear headphones have got quite a large body to them before you get to the part that goes in your ear. And what that means is that they stick out, which I don't think it aesthetically is great. But also, if you decide that you're going to go to sleep listening to a lovely podcast like this, it will actually poke into your ear because the body of the, the earphone is so large that it will essentially, you know, it will dig in. It will hurt. Well, this is so small. It's so low profile that it's actually flush with your ear. So that means that when you lie down on the pillow, the headphone itself, the, the earbud is flush with your ear. So it doesn't stick out. It won't poke. It won't hurt. And you could literally lie there for 10 hours with your head on the pillow with the, with the earphone in and you won't feel a thing. And by the way, I absolutely love to go to sleep with podcasts. I find that that's a very good sleep hack is to have some audio. Now, what I tend to do is I'll choose my favorite podcast and I'll make sure it's a podcast that doesn't involve someone unexpectedly shouting or crazy unexpected bursts of music or anything like that. Um, I've always wanted this show to be quite a quiet listen so that you can tune in in the evening and get relaxed and ready for bed, uh, but but also that you can actually sleep with it. I've, I've reason why I've created that is because I'm creating a show that I'd like to have for myself and I'm giving that to you. So um, yeah, so actually it's really good. Go to sleep with a little bit of audio. I don't think you should have audio in your ear all night. So normally on your smartphone, you can set a timer. So most of those podcast apps will allow you to say, oh, switch this off after 45 minutes or an hour. Um, and that's absolutely what I do. I don't think you want eight hours of a voice in your ear. I'm not sure that that will be great for your dreams and it's not great for your hearing. And that's the other thing, by the way, if you're listening to stuff at night, especially if you're asleep, have it quiet because it will wake you up and it could damage your hearing. But yeah, so these are really good. WIC100, they come in different colours. The one I've got is essentially kind of off-white, alabaster if you like. There's, there's a champagne colour, there's navy blue and there's black. Who cares what colour you go for? Um, I might recommend the lighter coloured ones because in a dark bedroom at night, you'll be able to see them more easily. And also you'll spot them at the bottom of a deep bag. 
one terrible confession I have to make is that I'm endlessly losing these bloody things and it costs me a fortune because they're so light and they're so low profile. They're so minimal. Um, you can easily just sort of they can fall out of your pocket or they can even fall off your shoulders, you know, because when you're not using them, you can hang them over your neck. But just make sure that you're aware of that when you get undressed or if you're out and about so that they don't actually um, they don't actually fall off. So sound quality, very good. I listen to all sorts of music on my WIC100s, classical music, pop, rock, you name it. Uh, and it seems well suited to all genres. Um, a bit of bass, but not too much. And a fraction of the price of those expensive brands like the the Beats and, and some of the other uh, rather more costly Philips, etc. So I can tell you that at the moment, Amazon are offering these for $27.99, which I know is not nothing, but I think you'll agree that's not bad for a device that, if we're honest, you're going to be using every day. Um, the standard price is 35 but they're on sale at $27.99, which probably means you'll always be able to get them at that reduced rate somewhere. And I've got another hack, which I'm afraid is going to cost you money, but um, I like to have two pairs. And what I do is I always have one on the go. So let's say that I go to sleep and I'm just using one pair. When I then get up to go about my busy day, I take the spare, which is fully charged, and then I plug in the one I've been using overnight so that I've always got a fully charged set of headphones. And also it's handy because if you do lose a pair, at least you've got the backup. Is there anything worse than embarking on a long journey and you realise you just cannot find your headphones? It's not acceptable. It's not possible not to have headphones in your life. It's, isn't it? It's essential. It's another limb. So therefore you must, I've got to be honest with you, I think you must have spares. And when they're as elegantly priced as $27.99, that is two for the best part of 50 quid. And you will have them for years, as long as you don't lose them. Um, they charge up very quickly. You're looking, I think five minutes will give you a couple of hours, which is amazing. But uh, overall, I think it's, it's perhaps 45 minutes an hour to fully charge them, an hour and 15 tops. And here's the unique thing. 25 hours of battery life. Isn't that reassuring? So many of these sorts of headphones will run for 8, 10, if you're lucky, 12 hours. Well, these run for 25 hours. And the reason why is because the device has got essentially two parts to it, two little chunks, which are which are on, on the um, cord, on the cable. Uh, one is the controller, which has an excellent microphone, so you can do hands-free calls. And you've also got your volume control and you can pause tracks and rewind and fast forward and all that stuff. And then the other exactly same size chunk on the other side contains the battery. And the advantage of that, because they're exactly the same size, there's two chunks either side uh, with the cable in the middle. It means it's equally weighted. So it does sit quite nicely on your neck. I'm a big fan of Sony anyway. I grew up with Sony. They've got an amazing legacy. Uh, it's my view that really... In the 70s and 80s, Sony were the apple of their time. They had the best TVs, which were called Trinitron. And of course, they invented the Walkman. So they created the idea of a personal music player. Without that, we wouldn't have the iPod or ultimately the iPhone and iTunes and all the rest of it. So well done, Sony, for the uh, for the Walkman. Absolutely loved mine. Had a different a few different ones, but I, I always insisted on that brand of Sony. I don't think Sony are the force they once were. Their TVs are no better than Samsung or anyone else. 
uh, so they're not to speak of much. It's amazing, really, how that brand has, has, has failed to, to remain the predominant technology brand of, of the world. And they've made way for Samsung and, and Apple and others. But the quality of what they do is still there. And they are particularly excellent at headphones because those over ear headphones are very good quality as well. They're market leading and they're much cheaper, again, than the likes of Bose or Beats. So there you go. Well done for uh, an excellent set of headphones to Sony WIC100. Something to leave you with. Commit to your gift. Whatever your ability, whatever it is that you can do. Uh, maybe you're quite a talented painter. Maybe you're a writer. Maybe you're athletic. Whatever your gift. Maybe you're a people person. Whatever it is. Whatever your thing is. Because everyone's good at something. Commit to it. Commit to your gift. So if you've decided that you want to write short stories or you want to be a painter, do it every day. Find a chunk of your day in which you do that. Don't think about, you know, am I going to be famous? Am I going to, you know, make my uh, fortune from this talent? No, just focus on the gift that you've got. Nurture it. Do it every day and never give up. Commit to your gift. Absolute game changer. It's been great having your company. I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you next time.